forward so we can do a quick sound check. Uh, so out of curiosity, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a granola bar and coffee. <laughs> hey, what more could you ask for? Yeah. <laughs> How about you? I had trail mix, but I had... There's this brand I get from Mariano's, our, our grocery store, and it was a different... Was it the hunger, the hunger mix? And then I had gotten it off Instacart this time, and they didn't have that, so this dude got the fighter mix or something and a different (laughs) soy nuts long story short i don't like the soy nuts hi i'm tim welcome to we're only human this is a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit These are conversations with people from all walks of life, exploring their journeys and what makes them who they are. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Lauren Calve, who is a daughter, sister, uh, Americana and country and blues. I'm going to throw in there, musician, singer, songwriter. And uh, you have uh, your latest EP coming out on June 23rd called Wildfire, which... um, if my research is correct, this is your third EP? Yes, it is. Oh my gosh, so you're a seasoned veteran. This is this is old play. Yeah, it's, I, I know. It, it, it feels like yes and no, because it's my third EP, which um, stands for extended play, which as opposed to long play, it's a kind of a, a vinyl reference for a shorter record. So I feel like this is my third go around, but I still haven't done a full length album yet. So, um, so yeah, I feel like a veteran, but still <laughs> like I'm still getting started. It is funny how LP, EP, I didn't even know that's what EP stood for. It's funny yeah. how we still have those kind of archaic album, you know, even calling it an album. Um, whereas nowadays it's, I guess, just a collection of songs. Well, I guess vinyl's coming back. I don't know. I find that fascinating. So you're a design patent. I, I'm fascinated by this design patent examiner for the, yes. the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but this job is you're examining design patent applications and basically helping understand whether or not the designs are like distinct enough. Right. Yes. Yeah. As we say, that they're patentably distinct. Is this like certain? Uh, like types of things people are trying to patent, like you only deal with, I don't know if I'm trying to patent coffee mugs or a new coffee mug design, or is this just anything you're saying? Yeah, it's um, it's any article of manufacture. So I specialize in uh, specifically clothing hangers, disposable packaging, um, hardware, so knobs, for cabinets or or front doors, that kind of thing. So people are constantly trying to invent new clothes hangers or I mean new designs on this? Yes. Yes. Wow. You would be shocked how many varieties of clothing <laughs> hangers I've seen. It's it's quite impressive. That is. I'm just I'm wondering like and I don't know everything that's involved in like evaluating a patent application, but do you go to like Target and you need new hangers? You're like, well, I know that this design is the best hanger, so I'm going for this. Or is it not that involved? <laughs> you know what's so interesting about that is 
the hangers that I've allowed. Um, so I'm assuming that they want the patent because they're manufacturing these hangers somewhere and selling them somewhere. But I've ne- it's rare that I've seen them in the marketplace, you know, like in Target or Walmart or something like that. Oh, wow. But then again, I have seen some, some of the more, the simpler ones. I mean, some have quite a few features that are, like I said, Im- very impressive and things that you just wouldn't think of. And, um, but then I guess a lot of them can be merchandising hangers too. So they could be in retail stores or something like that. Um, which is maybe why I haven't seen them. Yeah. I wonder how many of them too are, are companies or, or people, uh, like patenting just to like protect, like to make sure no one comes up with something close or, you know, like they're not even going to manufacture it or something, but just a protection maybe on the IP. So, um, so you're in Maryland now, but you were not always in the East coast. You were born in, uh, Kansas or did you grow up in Kansas or just born? Was it one of those like born and then you're three months old and you're out? Basically. Yeah. Um, my dad was in the military at the time. Uh, so was, he was stationed in, uh, in Kansas and, um, yet I was born there and basically lived a year of my life there. Gotcha. Was the rest of the time then in the kind of Virginia, Maryland, the whole, I don't, what do you call that? Like the DC area is what I want to call it, but I don't know if that's the official. Yeah, right. It's called like the, the DC metro area or the DMV. The DMV. So yeah, there's <laughs> the, the federal government is all around, including, you know, like I'm a federal worker too, and we like to operate in acronyms. <laughs> so yeah, DMV is DC, Maryland and Virginia. Yeah, that's just funny too, because I don't know elsewhere, but at least in Illinois, like DMV is what we call that where you go to get your driver's license and the driver's testing and all that. So when yes, I hear DMV, exactly. I think of that. Yeah, not to be confused with the, um, yeah, with the, with the drivers and, or yeah, with the, with the, that one. <laughs> so how did you get into music? Uh, your mom was a singer. Uh, was this a sort was it mom or was it, or mom and dad playing music around the house all the time? Um, yeah, my, my mom plays a few instruments and, um, you know, sang in the choir in church. Um, my dad, uh, played a lot of music in the house. He, he has a pretty eclectic musical taste. Um, I don't know if you remember, but you could subscribe to, um, to CD manufacturing sites, um, Oh, I guess they yeah. weren't sites, but companies, and you could get like 12 CDs for a dollar. I do remember that. Yeah. So if you, if it was like your first time subscription and you could get 12 CDs for a dollar and he found like four or five of these companies that were offering that promotion. And so he would just buy, you know, like get 12 CDs for a dollar four different times with four different companies. And so he ended up amassing like a pretty extensive collection of CDs. And because of that, he could kind of risk, you know, buying something that he'd never heard of or a genre of music that he didn't know of, but was interested in. And so we listened to a bunch of different music. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, like all, you know, world music necessarily, but 
you know, just different genres from like neo jazz to classic rock to like singer songwriter, folk music, country. Um, though I would say the the hair metal, or not hair metal, hair rock. You know, um, Van Halen and Steppenwolf and stuff. Those that was probably his preference. <laughs> Were you excited, like when he'd get a new? collection from the mail then like wondering what you know what genres or what bands might be in this one i guess i yeah i i came to understand that when i would see this cardboard package arrive at the house that it was some new collection of cds um but yeah i yeah i guess i was excited by it um because yeah, I mean, music was constantly being played in the house, so I'm sure as soon as they arrived, he was they were in rotation in you know, our huge bulky stereo system where I thought it was so high tech where you'd have a sleeve where you could um you could add 5 CDs or 6 CDs at a time and they were like in this chamber, you know. Yeah, my parents had one of those too. And then you slide this huge thing into yeah. another huge, like receiver, and then you could play the CD. So that it's like, oh wow, you can play more than one or have engage more than one CD at a time. It was like this super high tech technology. I love that you brought that up because I totally forgot. My parents, I remember their big stereo system, but I forgot it had that like, I think it held like 20 CDs. Like, oh, you, you had a nice something. one. <laughs> yeah, like you said, there were a bunch and you could like choose on the, the little LED or whatever panel. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It was very high tech back in the day. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's awesome. That must have been just so much fun having... I mean, I'm a huge music fan and I love having music on all the time. So just having music, period, would be great. But then having that kind of myriad of tunes and genres and just kind of... I mean, especially as a kid, I bet that must have just really affected you. Like you're picking up on the sounds you like and the grooves you like and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I, I've I've realized that the eclectic assortment of my dad's CDs and musical style really did af- affect me and influence me in a positive way. Yeah, because I um, I don't feel even song to song when I'm writing songs. I um, they all like I said, they're all under the umbrella of Americana. I'd say at this point, but there are certain times when I deviate and, you know, and, and incorporate different kinds of chords and shapes and, um, and different sounds. I, I have, and I too have a pretty eclectic taste in music tour. Uh, you know, there's, there's not much that I won't listen to. I'm, I'm the same way. And I think that's so important. Like, even if you don't, you know, like, you know, well, I think you have a wide variety of influences in kind of your music, but even if you're like a straight up, whatever, you know, I'm four chord punk rock only, you know, still having that influence and listening to other genres, I think is so important. Were you, um, were you like singing to these with your dad, you know, at a young age, were you kind of dancing around singing, like feeling like I, I want to be one of these folks one day, or was that later on where you kind of were like, Hey, I could do this. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would make up 
dances and, you know, sing along. My my parents have this hilarious um, memory of me singing along to Mariah Carey. She was one of my favorites um, oh, growing great. up. Um, my dad loved powerhouse female vocalists. And so he's the one who got me um, – my first Mariah Carey CD music box. And so they have this memory of me listening on big headphones and singing along and I can't hear myself. And they're like, <laughs> wow, you know, we never knew that you would actually turn into a, a singer who could actually sing on pitch <laughs> based on that. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I was constantly listening to music and then um, incorporating it you know, but inviting neighbors over to do dances or my dad actually would um, help my brothers and I come up with a music video for um, I think one we did was Rat in a Cage by Smash Smashing Pumpkins. And um, my brothers decided that I would be the rat in the cage. So they put <laughs> like a toy crate over my head. And I would like stick my fingers through while my dad like, you know, rotated the camera. That was, you know, his um, his way of, you know, adding some kind of visual interest, just like flipping the camera over <laughs> like, oh, we're upside down now. Special effects. Yeah. Dad's so good at this. Exactly. It's his version of special effects. Oh, my gosh. That's so much fun. So it sounds like the whole family was just uh, celebratory music. I mean, it was a. Uh... It wasn't like you were in your room listening to music and no one else wanted a part of it. It seems like it was shared. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And in fact, both my brothers are really talented musicians. Um, my older brother is a songwriter, too. Um, my little brother is an amazing instrumentalist. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we all three of us really gravitated toward it. And it, yeah, it definitely started for all of us in childhood. That's fun having all three of you. Do you all kind of... Um swap notes and kind of support each other, you know, through your careers here, having each, you're each kind of in a different, maybe role within the music space. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do. We definitely check in with each other if we're releasing new music or, if, you know, if we just wrote a song that we're excited about, I, I always send it around to them and, uh, and my mom too. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say, my older brother especially has more of a specific taste in music that I think is rooted in, you know, nineties, what was popular in, in, in the nineties, sort of like grunge rock and stone temple pilots and Pearl jam and Soundgarden and stuff like that. I think he's, that's very much like his, his niche thing where my little brother and I are more into roots music. And actually he, my little brother was in my band way back in the day, uh, sort of, I think it was my first iteration or the, f uh, of forming a band around my music. Sure, sure. And, um, but I soon realized, I mean, he had just graduated from college and though he was a great guitarist and he, um, you know, added to the, to the sound, he, he knew the kind of vocabulary, the roots kind of vocabulary, um, that I was looking for, but, I think because he was in a band with his sister, he felt like, well, it's okay if I'm missing equipment at rehearsal and, you know, like I can sort of go off and play this solo at this point in the song that it doesn't 
call for. We didn't rehearse, you know, so I found myself big sistering him a lot, which got really awkward sometimes at rehearsals. And I finally just was like, this is not healthy for our sibling relationship. And I, I booted him out of the band. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably good that you recognize that, you know, early yeah. on and were able to kind of have a mature conversation of, I think we're better off as siblings and not bandmates. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, it was probably more like, you know, emotionally driven and stuff, you know, how we act with our siblings, Sure, sure. <laughs> which is like revert to our, our like elementary school selves. But yeah, I mean, he, he, he had other things going on too. He was also at the time in a reggae band and bass is, is his main thing. So he had other stuff going on. So he was like, okay, fine, whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, that must've been tough at the time but are you both cool about it now like no hard feelings oh yeah totally yeah 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 for sure (laughs) yeah speaking of college uh you were playing ncaa division one field hockey like from what i understand you were pretty hardcore into field hockey yes yes um i sports were my life for so long uh since i was 10 years old until, yeah, I graduated from college, really. Um, my life revolved around sports big time. Um, what what yeah, was it, it was, about sports that, that kind of drew you in? Like, why why sports? Yeah, I, I'm a very competitive person by nature, and uh, I like expressing myself athletically and physically, and I, I realized that I... I had some skill in that area and, um, yeah, I always felt, I I always, you know, liked lifting weights and, and running, you know, my dad, uh, is a big fitness guy and he would take me, he bought me my first pair of running shoes and would take me on runs when I was like 10 or 11, you know, and, um, would teach me the correct, you know, jogging form. And, and I, I just always I just always took to it and um, also just loved being on a team and the camaraderie of um, in, in the neighborhood where I grew up to, there were tons of kids and we were constantly playing sports and street hockey and basketball and soccer. And I was one of the only girls in my age range. There were a lot of younger girls in my neighborhood, but um, so I often found myself playing sports with, my brother, my older brother and his friends. Um, and so I think I just always, yeah, I, I, I was always playing these sports activities with them, with, with guys. And I was like, I can, I can hold my own here. You know, I, I never, and I think having two brothers too, and my dad encourage my athletic pursuits, I guess, um, similar to my brother's, you know, I, I never heard, oh, well, girls don't do that. Or, you know, or you're not strong enough or you're not fast enough or you're not, um, you know, I, in fact, my dad would say that if I ever wanted to become a cheerleader, that he would disown me from the family. <laughs> Though now after watching the Netflix documentary cheer, I realize that those people are like far superior athletes to me or most people. Um, but I, you know, I, my, 
I, I never had those kind of gender imbalances that maybe exist in other families. Um, I just always felt like I could just, I, I could do whatever the guys did and being competitive. I liked to prove people wrong if they thought that I couldn't. Um, and I like to say that I'm the only one of my siblings that competed in division one athletics in college. And I'm very proud of that. And I think athletics are an amazing outlet for girls and for women and for empowerment to feel strong, to bond with other women and support each other. I mean, some of my best friends are still, you know, my, my, my teammates from college. Um, in fact, I was just texting with them earlier and we were, we were playing, uh, a Davidson field hockey bingo. I've been seeing a lot of this going around while we're all in quarantine. There's like bingos for everything now. Um, and we were reminiscing about, yeah, (laughs) we were reminiscing about, um, yeah, just some of our field hockey memories, Playing field hockey in college was yeah, one of the highlights of college and really has turned out to be a huge highlight in my life. That's so much fun. I, I get the sense that you've you've had such varied like varied experiences and varied inputs in your life. Like um, you know, and I think it sounds like a lot of that was due to your family and a lot of openness, but like it wasn't like you were on one track and only knew one thing, but you've really both been exposed to a lot and also seem to be a type of person that, you know, wants to get a bunch of different inputs and not just one viewpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree with that. Um, I, I certainly like to change things up and don't like to feel static in, in anything I do. You worked on a dude ranch in Wyoming. What, um, I don't know if you remember that show, it was on Nickelodeon back in the nineties. Hey dude, I just, um, that was the first thing I, the first thing I thought of when I saw that you worked on a dude ranch, but, um, what was that like? And also what was the, uh, impetus for that? Just kind of, again, looking for a, a different experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have a longstanding obsession romance with the West. I am, I've always been drawn to that area of the country. Even as a child, I remember thinking, you know, how amazing it would be to live on a ranch in the middle of nowhere. And um, I also have, I'm also obsessed with horses. I feel like I never got over that, Uh, you know, stereotypical girl obsession with horses. Um, So once I graduated and I found out about, um, or, a few of my college friends had worked on the ranch years prior and I found out about the experience through them. And, um, yeah, it just seemed like the perfect thing to do at the time. I had just come back from teaching English in South Korea for a year and, um, didn't have anything, uh, in the cards in terms of a full-time job, a real adult job. So I was kind of still spinning my wheels, trying to figure out what to do next. Um, so the seasonal opportunity to work at a dude ranch, which is the one I worked at was basically like a costume party for rich people to live or to, oh, to, to spend fun. a vacation. Yeah. To spend a vacation fly fishing and riding horses and wearing cowboy hats and flannel and cowboy sh- boots. 
but it was on like a legitimate um, family owned ranch, um, you know, thousands of acres. Um, and so it was, it was certainly the real deal, but yeah, I, I was a, a children's counselor. So basically took care of rich people's kids while they, you know, lived out their Western fantasies. <laughs> wow. What a, that's such a unique experience. I imagine you got so much out of that. I mean, you know, not many people can say, can say that, that they've, they've done that. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm, that would be so cool. I think I'm, I'm so glad you had a chance to do that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it, it, it really was. Um, I, like I said, I, I, I always like, I've always been drawn to athletic outdoor activities, but after working at the ranch, I, um, it instilled in me such a, a deeper love of the outdoors and for hiking and, um, for being in wide open spaces where you can't see another person, another house, um, wherever you look and turn. Um, and that, that really has stuck with me too. And just, you know, the outdoor skills of how to make a fire and, um, and uh, how to, what to do if you're on top of a ridge and it starts to thunderstorm, that kind of thing. I, so it gave me a lot of confidence uh, as well as just, yeah, it strengthened my, an already existing passion for, for the outdoors. Oh, it's so great. I share that the outdoors. I love the outdoors. I need to get yeah, out west awesome. more. We have beautiful national parks here in America and I've only seen, I don't know, not enough. Yeah, it's amazing how the the varied landscapes we have just in the continental US and you know, I've 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 traveled um to, you know, a fair share of different countries but but my trip to yeah, a few other national parks maybe a couple years ago in Colorado in Utah was or no, Utah, Arizona, Nevada area um was i mean it's just majestic it's otherworldly it's like you're on a different planet at times oh yeah so you are you know growing up um dad's got all the cd collections coming in which i just love i totally forgot about those and (laughs) got the stereo and um you know just enjoying the music and then you're a competitive person you're off to college and in field hockey like no other at what point did the idea of like i'm going to focus on the music sort of come to mind was that after college or kind of a gradual thing over time mm, yeah so i i learned guitar when i was 15 but it was mainly a solitary um hobby of mine basically to learn Avril Lavigne songs or Sheryl Crow's songs and nice and, and, what better and sing them dramatically in my bedroom, you know, to sort yeah. of, <laughs> to sort of, um, you know, as therapy for all of my teenage woes and hormonal changes, I guess. I mean, it was like a great, uh, of course, a great outlet, but I never, ever played in front of people. I was terrified. Well, nowadays, you would have put all that on YouTube. Yeah. You, oh, you would so have been true. a YouTube sensation. 
<laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, I would have been like the female Justin Bieber, if only. <laughs> if only YouTube <laughs> existed, right, in the early 2000s. Um, no, but I... I uh, So, of course, I took my guitar to college with me and didn't have a lot of time to play it, but um, I was actually pretty religious in college. And I was a part of um, a Christian organ, like a campus Christian organization and, and that kind of thing. And so I, and, and, and then sort of because of that, I got in, it wasn't affiliated with it, but I was involved in this um, on campus worship service. And since I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm particularly religious anymore in that same kind of organized sense, but the one thing that has stuck with me and saved my spiritual life or has kept that alive in me is this other opportunity that I was involved in in college. So it was more... It, it was less organized and more free flowing and it was all centered around music. And so it was me and two or three, sometimes three other um, students, we would play maybe an hour of music and we would create sheets of music where people could sing along if they wanted to. Sometimes people would, bring their books and studies. Some people would journal, some people would take naps. We would, we use the on-campus chapel as, um, that hosted our, our service. And we turned down the lights and we sat down on the, the steps of the, um, of the church. And, you know, we weren't on a stage or we, we were plugged in through the, the church's sound system, but it was very lo-fi and actually, after the service, you know, people, I, I would walk down the aisle and it, no one even knew that it was me up there singing, which I loved. But I think it was also testament to what we were trying to do, that it was just about kind of creating this this relaxing, chilled vibe where it was about that spiritual connection through music. Um, and oh, I love that. Yeah. And I... I always, that was always something after, after playing it, even if I just had a long day, I was tired, had a bad day, whatever. I just didn't want to go. I just didn't want to do it. You know, I do it every Thursday. We called it Thursday night worship. But after, after every service, I always felt this sense of fulfillment and this sense of, closeness and calm and peace um, that has really stuck with me because it incorporated my love and passion for music that I'd, I'd always knew I had, but it was sort of elevating it to this other place, to this spiritual place. And um, that was, that was new to me. That was new to me that you could, that music could serve that purpose. Um, and uh, I like writing music that way too, where there is a sense of, yeah, like kind of, a, um, a, I wouldn't say like a spiritual, well, yeah, I mean, 
sorry, I'm fumbling with this. Um, no, no. I, I know what you mean. Like, I think I love everything about that because to me, the way I interpret this is, I mean, you just, you, you focused on the music and like the music is what connected, you know, everyone like to me, one of the things, I mean, no, the thing I love the most about music is it truly is like a universal language. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. you know, you can put aside lyrics and actually spoken word and just music makes you feel. And it doesn't matter what you look like, what language you speak or anything. Like, you can feel music and it can transform the way you feel. Mm-hmm. And man, that's just such a beautiful thing. And especially when you, I mean, personally, I know some people, you know, like live music some people don't like i'm i love when you're with tons of other people feeling that like nothing beats that mm, and so yeah. i could, you know I, I get the sense of like you doing this in in just you know letting the music be the focus the music connecting you all and like you said you know connecting you on different levels that maybe you never even felt before that's just beautiful yeah thanks yeah i and you're so right about the, uh, the connectivity of music and, and how it connects us and how, um, and it, it, and it can create a kind of spiritual connection with, yeah, it can create that spiritual connection. And especially in a live setting, that's so interesting. You pointed that out. Cause I was thinking, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I feel like that's what I'm always trying to get back to in live performances is, that connection that I felt in college. Um, and I certainly have had that, um, with connect and it's more of yeah, connecting with, with the audience and, um, there's, yeah, an exchange that happens there. Once I, I performed at rock and roll marathon in DC and they have stages they had stages set up, um, you know, every couple miles around the course. And I think that that experience, I think perfectly encapsulates what I'm trying to say, because, you know, you're I playing for the, the runners and the runners are of course listening to me and, and there's this exchange of them running by and having a smile on their face and giving us a thumbs up. And, um, and so it's clear that we're energizing them. And then in turn, they're energizing us through the feedback and through the clear look on their faces or their change in their physicality where you're like, yeah, this they're, you know, like this is, this is helping them run a marathon. Yeah, that's so fun. The thing I love about music is no matter what genre you're listening to, no matter what you think you feel about this song or you think you feel about this artist, you know, especially, you know, we were talking about our younger years and when you're, you know, in high school and stuff and, you know, maybe you're, your group likes Avril Lavigne, but you're not supposed to like Britney Spears or whatever, you know, yeah. how teenagers are. But mm-hmm. like your body and your mind and your soul doesn't lie. Like if you're listening to a, a band that you claim you don't like and you feel the chills of that music just moving you, like there's no denying that. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's so cool. I mean, I can see those runners running by and like, I'm sure you were just energizing them, pumping them up. And like you said, they're, I'm sure you could feel that from them. And then it's just this, this endless cycle of just connection. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was yeah, really powerful experience. So, um, you, I, I'm curious. Um, I was listening to the songs on the new EP on Wildfire, and there's this song, She Loves Waterfalls, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, just a beautiful song. I mean, it was one, like I said, one of those songs where I, you can just feel it. I mean, I, it was just what I felt was just the beauty. I mean, I was sitting there on my couch listening to it, and, um, I'm curious. So, this song is about your mom. I, I was just so curious, like, what kind of the background of this song was, and, in my head, I just kept, uh, you know, the the lyrics about the waterfalls and just kind of painting this picture of like almost in a national park and, um, you know, by the waterfalls and just curious how that came to be. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, there's th- this, this, the creation of this song um, has a cool story, has a, a really touching story for me, um, associated with it. So my mom is remarried and has been married to her second husband for a little over two years now. And, um, she lives out in rural Virginia, almost to the West Virginia state line. And so as you can imagine, there are a lot of country roads out there winding through, um, through the hills, through the mountains. And so she and her now husband like to go uh, for joy rides in his F-150. And um, on one of those rides, they came across this, you know, scenic overlook stop. And it was for this, this waterfall that you could see in the distance. And they snapped a picture of, um, of her, um, standing in front of it. And so she, she sent the picture to me and my brothers in a group text. And when I saw the picture and her, her smile, it was a beautiful, sunny day. Um, I just felt the joy emanating from the photo. I could just feel it. Um, and it struck me how far, We've come as a family, um, you know, going through difficulties in her first marriage with my dad and um, some of the things that we all that that we um, experienced as a result. My mom, you know, as moms do, take a lot of the brunt of things or, you know, carry the, are are used to carrying their family on their backs. And that my mom is no exception. I think mothers are naturally like the protectors, like they, they feel, mm -hmm. you know, they want to be the protector. Totally. Yes. So I just felt this, um, this, this great contrast in, in where she was maybe four or five years prior and where she was in that photo and there was a youthful glow in her face. And like I said, this big smile on her face and, um, it's a really beautiful photo and, and, and it really moved me. And shortly after looking at the photo, I wrote the song, she loves waterfalls. And it's one of those songs where 
like speaking of the spirituality of music and how music can be such a great conduit for the spiritual. Um, I, I really believe that I really believe that. And I believe the artist is, is that, um, yeah, is the conduit for, for, to sort of translate some of, you know, the, the metaphysical or spiritual or things that the energies that are ha- happening uh, all around us and, you know, our artists can open themselves up through creativity and then to channel some of that. And I think that's what happened with this song because um, it doesn't happen all the time. It's actually pretty rare, at least for me, um, that a song will come out all at once. And in this case, it did. Um, and the music for the song actually, um, the chord progression in the song is the first one I ever learned. And my mom actually taught it to me when I was 15 on her college guitar. (laughs) Um, gosh, how perfect. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I known this beautiful chord progression since I was 15 and I just, it just never made its way into a song. And I, I had always wanted to incorporate it in, in a song, but just never, it, it just never showed up anywhere until this time and this moment. And of course, yeah, it was just, it was so perfect. It was so meant to be. Um, uh, and of course the, the, she loves waterfalls is, of course, um, relates to the photo. Also the, you know, the, the waterfall, became a symbol in the song and in my mind of, um, you know, her joy fully realized and that equal opposite reaction of also the suffering too, um, that makes the joy that much more profound. Has mom heard the song? Yes, definitely. Yeah. In fact, um, I've, she's been in the audience when I've played it and I tell a similar story, probably more abridged version of this story. And there have been times when after I play it, someone in the audience will be like, well, cause I'll say, Oh, and my mom is here to actually in the audience tonight. And then afterwards they'll be like, the audience is like, where's your mom? Like we want to see her. And so, <laughs> so I'll be like, okay, mom, stand up. <laughs> and oh, everyone like mom. applauds for her. And she like, yeah, oh. kind of like sheepishly, like, smiles and waves to to everybody oh god it's cute yeah it's 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 happened a couple times it's pretty funny and very sweet oh i love that i'm gonna think of this now every time you listen to that song i'm happy about that (laughs) so that song came to you like you said meant to be and sort of came out but normally songs do they take a long time for you to sort of figure out or they slowly kind of introduce themselves to you yeah um Yeah, they typically uh, (laughs) take way longer than just one sitting, like what happened with that song. Um, I tend to like to see a song through. Um, I'm not one of those songwriters that, you know, writes 100 songs a year or I mean, hardly anyone does that. But, you know, like there will be these challenges where songwriters will challenge themselves to write like a song a week or even a song a day. And I'm just... I'm not one of those songwriters. I, I really like to labor over the song and I like to, like I said, see it through. Um, kind of want to make each one like the perfect one. Like this is going to yes. be the best. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to make, because I always feel like you listen to like your favorite album, right? Of like 
Avril Lavigne back in the day and you're like, oh, I, you know, there's five songs I love and there's like eight that I'm like, eh, they're all right. But I, I feel like you're probably like, no, I'm going to make 13 kick-ass songs. So I'm going to take the time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it translates that way, but yes, that's how I, I endeavor to create songs that like, that are the best that they can be. I don't like, to, you know, I, you know, some people are comfortable writing like crap songs. It's like, oh, well, you know, like you win some, you lose some. And, you know, the, just the more you write, um, the more probability there is that you will have that great song. And I, I definitely believe that. I I, I just, <laughs> for some reason, I just cannot write that way. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm probably a perfectionist to a fault where I can't, I have I have a hard time letting go and 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 even even saying that okay now it's finished just leave it alone it's it's good for and and I think that was probably had to do with my 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 fear of performing in front of other people because I just I couldn't bear to not be perfect to not seem like to not be like a fine-tuned artist or whatever even at 15 or 16 I just hated the idea of anyone hearing me and just in it and it not sounding good you know <laughs> sure oh I totally know what you mean I think we're man maybe we were meant to talk for sure because I'm very similar like in my creative mm-hmm. process I'm uh, I'm very similar like I I I'm better now like I believe in iteration and and, you know, you're going to learn from anything that isn't living up to your expectations. But at, at the same time, I'm, I'm like you. I want everything I create to be the best it can be. I want to take the time. I want to look over across every T, dot every I and make sure it is the best it can possibly be. And like when you said about other artists that are like, oh, you know, you win some, lose some, like it'll be a, not the best song. Like just the thought of that. Like, no, like you can't just acknowledge it's not good and let it go. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, yes, exactly. And it's, and it's, it can be painful to finally let it go. Yeah. yeah, Just because you've labored so long over it and just thought everything through. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much, there's already so much risk involved, I think, in being creative and, and, uh, you know, there's, I think an apt metaphor or analogy to compare, creations as like you know as children you know that you're sort of letting out into the world um and yeah and it 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 feels yeah like risky or it feels it's a vulnerable moment for sure where does that does that come from any like particular experience in your life or any anything in particular like this idea of wanting to kind of like you said you know perfectionist to a fault um is that just always been kind of how you are, like just in as a person? I think so. Unfortunately, I, I'm 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 definitely getting better, and music has, you know, helped me a lot with that. Even though I definitely take some of those impulses in with me when I'm creating music, but yeah, performing specifically has allowed me to let go of things that are not 
perfect <laughs> because in a live setting, I mean, anything can happen. And, um, and I, you know, I, I don't like to rehearse, you know, things that I'm going to say to a T, you know, or, or to have some sort of script written out. Uh, I mean, not, not many people do that anyway, but, um, I, yeah, so I, yeah, I was gonna say, I could see where it would kind of bring that out of where you're mm-hmm. a little bit more comfortable with the unknown or, or with, you know, a little less perfection. Cause I would imagine, I mean, performing live, uh, every single performance is going to be uniquely different so that, you know, you're in your head, you're, you're never going to be able to say, okay, I'm going to do the exact same perfect performance every night. Cause per- perfect is going to vary. The definition of perfect is going to vary each, each time I imagine. Right. And inevitably there's going to be something stupid. I think I said, or, you know, some note I hit that was wrong or my voice cracked or, you know, I got nervous and in my head too much. And those things would just torment me (laughs) in the middle of the night. I would wake (laughs) up like inevitably at like four in the morning, as they say, anxiety is happy hour. And wake up inevitably at four in the morning and just ruminate over all these things that I thought I had said wrong, or I thought I had acted awkwardly. I had, I had messed up the song here, or I mean, and it would just, it would torture me. And it was a painful, um, painful, what was like growing pains really to get to this place where I am now, not to say that I don't still have those moments, but I'm much more relaxed about it. And if something happens, I just, whatever, live to fight another day. It's fine. No one's going to think about this. You're the only one who thinks about this. It's like, I have to run through these sort of like, um, anxiety kind of reducing, um, (laughs) methods in my head as, as I'm kind of like processing the performance and, um, so I'm not overthinking things because that's, I'm sure you, yeah, being a perfectionist sounds like, you know, the overthinking is definitely, um, I think it goes hand in hand. Oh yeah. I mean, when I edit this episode, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, every little echo I hear or every little breath that I'm taking, I'm going to try and take out because I want it to be absolutely perfect when, you know, like you said, no one's going to notice some of these things that I'm like, you know, going putting so much attention on and you know with mm-hmm. with your music and live performance it it's interesting because like i think you're right like you know of course you're gonna you know not have quote unquote the perfect performance where you're gonna maybe play a wrong note or say something that upon reflection you're like oh that didn't sound very i don't know professional whatever that means but like at the end of the day or the end of the night you know the next morning the fans are just going to remember like how you move them right and that connection mm-hmm. they had and like that's all they're really that's kind of the pass fail right it's like was I moved? Did I feel something last night? Yeah. Awesome. Mm. This was amazing. I'm going back to see her again. Like, did she say yeah. something stupid? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's so true because uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's the reason I love live performances, why I like seeing my favorite artists live. Um, yeah, because yeah, it's, it's like what we were talking about. It's all about that connection with the artists and what, what the music 
how the music translates in a live setting in a group of people. Um, yeah, that's, that's what you go there for. That's what you remember. Yeah. That just brings me back to like, I really, I think music is like the most human thing ever because I mean, you go back, you know, Mm -hmm. thousands of years, like we were doing music. Like, like I say, you don't even have to know each other's language, but with music, you can communicate. You don't really need fancy instruments. Like you can use, you know, you're just your hands and your mouth and, you know, whatever's around you. Um, so I think, yeah, it just, again, to me speaks to like, it's just about that human connection. Like at the end of the day, music makes you feel and connect. And if you yeah. like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And you're looking for something else that, you know, makes you feel. For sure. Yeah. Um, I love this quote by Napoleon. He said, um, you can write the laws, but I will write the music. Meaning oh, that, never heard that. Yeah. Meaning that someone who was as power hungry as a figure like Napoleon, he knew the power of music. Um, and I mean, there reason, there's a reason why every country has an anthem and why we all learn it from a young age and how that is so closely tied to patriotism. Um, yeah, there's, there's a, a, a very deep, entrancing quality about music that we can't qualify and um, quantify. And, but um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it has something to do with this, with the spiritual. And like you said, the human it's on the, the horizontal plane of, of being human, but then on the vertical as well, brings you to just to, to spiritual levels to different emotional levels i mean obviously i'm biased but yeah i i just i think music has been the best form of expression for me and the best form of connection for me as well i mean biased sure but you're also someone who you know is impacted and and feels music and loves music and you know has changed because of music and you also happen to have talent that can help you now spread that to the rest of us so hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I love that quote from napoleon i never heard that and i also love that you pointed out i never thought about national anthems and things like that and how you can you know if you truly understand the power of music how that can be a, a benefit that's i learned something new today yeah, I, I, it's it's something I, I think about often in the power of music, you know, and how when it's commercialized, when it becomes a thing to um, to make money from, you know, I think you get a lot of the pop music that we hear nowadays where it's devoid of that feeling. It's devoid of the emotion of connection. In fact, there are algorithms and and software programs that can produce a hit song. Um, Ooh, that's scary. So I know. And so where's the artistry there? Where is that? Like I was saying that, that, that um, the artist is no longer that conduit for the sort of the creative forces that are around us. And, and it's just becomes a, a thing to, 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 to buy and sell. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, I think we're getting to a point and, you know, I, I think of 
you know, society as a, a pendulum that swings back and forth. And I think the pendulum is swinging back to, you know, kind of what it was in the, um, in the sixties during the folk revival, you know, where with the singer songwriter movement and confessional songwriting, though, I hate that term, but where, where people were writing music with more meaning, it was taking it out of the Brill building and, and the team of songwriters, though great songs came out of that, but it was more about the individual experience. And, um, I think we need more of that, <laughs> more songs with meaning, um, that can move people um, and make people feel something and, and can ultimately change people. Oh, hopefully for I, the better. <laughs> yes, I agree with that so much. Well, I'm so glad that you are, you know, creating meaningful music and, and bringing that to the forefront. Um, Lauren, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat. Um, we had our share of technical difficulties, which I apologize for, but thank you so much. I apologize much for, too. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you know, we're recording this during the whole COVID-19 COVID quarantine time. And like we were saying, everybody and their family and all their friends are all on the internet. So I'm sure yeah, we're, all, exactly. we're all sharing very clogged pipes here. So, but thank yeah. you. I really appreciate it. And I'm so excited for, you know, you to continue sharing your music. Thank you so much. This was so fun to talk to you. And um, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app, rate and review us, and share this episode with a friend. Thanks.